Seltzer Kings podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight to the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Well, I guess if I had to venture a guess, Gavin, it's because those white wigs make everyone look really, really stupid. Yes. The following podcast contains... Your use of language has altered since our arrival. It is currently laced with, shall I say, more colorful metaphors. Double dumbass on you, and so forth. You mean the profanity? Yes. That's simply the way they talk here. Nobody pays any attention to you unless you swear every other word. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. We have a trial of the century every four or five years. Uh, What the hell are you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 408, yet another trial of the century edition of the show, where we talk about the criminal justice system's greatest hits. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Robo Lawyer, your AI-generated legal eagle. Do you need a lawyer? We all do sometimes, but lawyers are expensive and often don't want to work for you. That's where RoboLawyer comes in. Our generative AI legal program will generate your case and defend you in court. Unlike other AI lawyers, RoboLawyer isn't trained with dry, boring law textbooks. No! RoboLawyer is trained on scripts from the greatest television shows of all time featuring lawyers, like Perry Mason or Jack McCoy from Law & Order. What it lacks in legal knowledge, it'll make up with AI-generated TV lawyer speechify. Will RoboLawyer win? Almost certainly not. Will you be even lucky to get into the trial? Probably not, but like we said... Lawyers are expensive, so what do you have to lose? RoboLawyer is not legal advice, and it's for entertainment purposes only. Do not use RoboLawyer in actual court proceedings. RoboLawyer is not liable to losses or incarceration. Stimulate the rights where they do not use RoboLawyer. We have a real lawyer who attended actual law school, and we will win in court. Let me ask you once again. Is it your testimony that you and your brother Eric, in fact, had nothing to do with the murder of your parents, Jose and Kitty Menendez? That's correct. Then can you tell the court who did murder your parents? Our other two brothers, Danny Menendez and Jose Menendez Jr. (laughs) Good evening, I'm Greg Jarrett for Court TV. It was a startling day of testimony at the trial of Lyle and Eric Menendez. After several weeks of presenting its case, the defense stunned the courtroom with the revelation that not only are there two other previously unknown Menendez brothers, Danny and Jose Jr., but that they, in fact, committed the murder with which Lyle and Eric are charged. Later this afternoon, younger brother Eric joined Lyle on the stand, and in riveting testimony, they spoke of the secret existence of these two previously unknown Menendez brothers and the years of emotional abuse they suffered. I, uh... I've spent some time in the old courtroom. Trespassing, public lewdness, FCC violation. No, I mean, I've been the witness, the victim, and once or twice an evictee. Why am I not surprised? 
I once had a U.S. attorney ready to hold me in contempt because I wouldn't swear on the Bible before I testified. Probably wouldn't have gotten very bad and gone so far if, while talking to him, I hadn't said something along the lines of swearing on an old Archie comic book was equally valid as far as I was concerned. It turns out, the lawyer, very religious. Godless heathens. Then there was the time I was suing someone for defamation because they accused me of some pretty terrible shit. They're obviously useless and probably drunk. No, that part was true, but I never did the things that they said I did. And the only exciting time I ever had in court was testifying to a grand jury after some dude tried to kill me. You tried to fuck his wife. You tried to fuck his wife. No, 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 I didn't try to fuck his wife. Some dude just stabbed me out of the blue. Just wrong place, wrong time, wrong dude. You try to win his wife back. No, no, I never touched this guy's wife. I mean, come on. I don't even know if he had a wife. I was just walking home from the liquor store. That was the only thing I did wrong. That case was only exciting because I was pretty stoked that I was still alive to testify and that sort of thing, but it's a little zest in your testimony. But for the most part, court trials have one simple thing in common. This is so boring and forever taking. You gotta get out of bed, put on nice clothes. I mean, you can't just show up in your Grateful Dead tie-dye and ratty whole jeans, even if you are a witness. And you gotta wait in line of security to make sure you aren't smuggling a 44 Magnum up your butthole, and when you finally arrive at the courtroom, You'll spend hours sitting there waiting for your case to be called. And it's not like you can pop in headphones and listen to something. They get really mad when you do that. I mean, you can't even read an Archie comic book. What is this obsession with him? I, I just think Veronica is really hot. And when your case finally gets called, you're waiting for the judge and the lawyers to have their little conferences and chats up at the bench because they couldn't possibly have their little powwow before your case is called. And when you finally take the stand and tell your story, you can't finish a sentence without one of the lawyers shouting an objection that you're wildly speculating. And that lawyer wasn't there. They don't know that you're speculating for sure. And if you're on trial, you got to come back day after day, and then the jury gets the case and takes no who knows how long to do whatever the fuck it is they do back there. And you know, if it's in the morning, they're going to have lunch before they return that verdict, but eventually they'll get around to it. Is there a point to all this? Yeah, the point is court is really fucking boring. And I cannot for the life of me figure out what makes people want to watch them live on television. Which brings us to this week's topic. Finally. We are starting our summer series on the pod, and when we launch next week, I thought you might need some foundation on so-called trials of the century. The Washington, the Washington Post wrote in 1999, quote, Calling court cases the trial of the century is a traditional bit of American hyperbole, like calling the circus the greatest show on earth. Nearly every juicy tabloid trial in our history was called the trial of the century by someone. Every time I turn around, there's a new trial of the century, says defense attorney F. Lee Bailey, who participated in two of them, the Simpson trial and Sam Shepard's 1954 murder trial, which inspired the TV show and movie The Fugitive, unquote. Now, I'm a, a little over a half century old, and in that time, I've been told that I'm living through the trial of the century at least a dozen times, maybe more. Now, I'm not great at math, but it seems to me that the numbers are a little off. So you're probably wondering, what exactly are the criteria for a trial of the century? There's no definitive list, but if we take a moment to examine the cases, we can determine a few critical elements that make it worthy of the moniker. First, and most importantly, is naturally... A lot of money to be made. Can media companies monetize the trial, and will the people buy the content? Which leads to the next criteria. Is there something scandalous about the case? Not every murder case is going to be scandalous and fun. Your run-of-the-mill drug murder? Boring. Boring. There has to be an underlying motivation. Infidelity is a good one, but 
Only if the person's famous enough. And that, of course, is the most important factor. Is the defendant famous? This can be overcome if the defendant is hot or the scandal is super juicy or the crime elicits public outrage. But if the defendant is rich or famous, you've got yourself trial of the century contenders. All of these factors also have to be in the right proportions. I mean, look at the trial of Phil Spector. Phil Spector, music legend, created the wall of sound, worked with some of the most famous people in modern music, launched Ike and Tina Turner, collaborated with the Beatles, produced the Ramones, and a major player in music business. He was bug shit crazy. He threatened the Ramones with a gun in a studio. Allegedly. What is it alleged is that he uh, shot the uh, shot an actress by the name of Lana Clarkson in the mouth and killed her in 2003 because he went to prison for it. But his first trial, which was televised, never made the trial of the century despite having all those, all those factors that we tend to associate with the trial of the century. It never caught hold. I mean, the media tried to make it happen, but Spectre's fame. Too distant. Clarkson's fame wasn't big enough, and the scandal underneath wasn't particularly scandalous. So, well, yeah, it made the news. It was not news. In the end, it was the audience who decides if the case merits the Appalachian trial of the century and not the content creators. So let's talk about a few trials of the century and what made the audience latch on to consuming everything they could find or watch for endless hours of boring-ass court TV. Cease to exist Just... Come and say you love me. For the 20th century alone, Wikipedia lists 30 odd trials of the century, going all the way back to the assassination of William McKinley in 1901. Now, this is obviously far too many cases for me to talk about. Oh, thank God. And while many of them would be interesting to talk about, I mean, Fatty Arbuckle's case alone would make a great series, but this is a podcast with a time frame. And that time frame is basically the years I've been alive on this planet. Which is why I decided to select just a couple of cases that transpired during my lifetime that are well enough known to have sources that I don't have to pay for, and that you, the listener, might be just familiar enough with. I guess the first one we can talk about is uh, the trial of the century in 1970. Starring America's favorite answer man, Charles Manson. Charles Manson, a man who needs no introduction, so I'm not going to waste my time with one, and his family weren't prolific serial killers not by the standards of the time or even today i mean they only killed nine people that body count won't even make national news unless it happens at a daycare center and while the murders were pretty brutal it wasn't their brutality or the sinister message they left behind scrawled in blood on the walls look quick quick aside for all you potential serial killers out there if you're a group obsessed with say the beatles you would think you would know how to spell Helter Skelter, which was a song by the Beatles. I mean, it was right there on the album cover you guys allegedly just worshipped. Also, not particularly complicated words, but these acid-headed hippies couldn't even do that right. Fucking hippie motherfucker. The reason that the Manson trial was a trial of the century was who they killed. Vox.com wrote in 2019, quote, even if you don't know much about vintage Hollywood, you probably know the name Sharon Tate. The up-and-coming actress and wife of director Roman Polanski was just 26 and eight and a half months pregnant on August 8, 1969, when four people broke into her home at 10500 Cielo Drive in Beverly Hills, a house their cult leader Charles Manson had previously visited as a guest, and killed everyone inside. 
The next night, desperate to make the first round of deaths look like part of a race war, Manson ordered his followers to a different address in central Los Angeles, this one owned by middle-class couple Leno and Rosemary LaBianca, to kill again, unquote. And the trial was a circus before it even started. The media was reporting every breathless rumor of the investigations before the bloody Hilter Skilter had dried on the walls of the LaBianca murder scene. When the police finally arrested Manson and his followers, they pulled Charlie out from underneath the kitchen sink because he's really small. There was a full-on feeding frenzy among newspaper and TV reporters for a scoop, and the case was page one banner headlines around the world. I mean, none other than Dick Nixon himself felt compelled to weigh in on the case, as reported in the New York Times in 1970. Quote, after President Nixon made his statement last week that Charles Manson was guilty directly or indirectly of eight murders, a local writer amused with Cambodia and the economy and everything else he's got to worry about, why was Nixon reading about Manson anyway? Why indeed was the president, along with so many of the constituents so interested in the Manson trial, more importantly, had their interest generated so much publicity that defendants could no longer get a fair trial here or anywhere else, unquote. I mean, shit. This trial was so big, it still makes headlines today. Why do I say this? Leslie Van Houten, the last remaining Manson family still in prison, was just granted parole last week over the objection of, the Calif of California's Governor Gavin Newsom. The woman is well into her 70s and probably couldn't stab anyone even if Charlie did rise from the grave and commanded her to do it. But that's how big this case looms in the imagination of America. And it happened before we put TV cameras in the courtroom. My God, if this case had been televised or just clips shown on the nightly news, the Radians would have been crazier than Charlie Manson. The unarrested family members in full-on freak mode outside the courthouse, the swastikas carved in foreheads, Charlie trying to charge across the table pretending he wanted to kill the judge with a pencil. That must have been adorable. Or Charlie testifying in his own defense going full Manson. Think of the ratings. Hell, the ratings of newspaper sales were fantastic as it was. <laughs> All they had were those weird-ass court sketches that made everyone look like they were in clown makeup. The next couple of decades set a couple of contenders of the title. Patty Hearst trial really should qualify. Rich heiress kidnapped by radicalized hippies, then converting to their cause and going on a bank robbing spree with them, only to finally be rescued and claimed it was just a put-on to stay alive. Was it, though? I don't think we'll ever really know. I mean, she had a lot of money to hire very good lawyers. I also kind of think she maybe kind of wanted to do it. Then there was John Hinckley Jr.'s trial for shooting. Fine. Ronald Reagan. He said it. I mean, it was juicy, but it wasn't really exciting. Everyone knew that John shot him. They was right there on television. And the only thing we wanted to know is why he didn't spend more time at the range on target practice and whether or not he was crazy. I mean, there was no way for John to know that he and Jodie Foster were never, ever going to be a thing because he wasn't her type in so many more ways than one. She liked her ladies, as she called them. And it was also apparent to anyone who spent more than five minutes with John Hinckley Jr. that he was medically speaking... That shit crazy! So there wasn't the requisite drama that people really needed to become super fixated on the trial. It wasn't until 1993 that America would get a trial which made for tense but thrilling live TV. When two rich douchebag brothers killed their mom and dad with shotguns because they really didn't want to wait for them to die a natural cause and, and so they could inherit all their money. Lyle and Eric Menendez. A real couple of bad boys. 
You might know a little bit about the Mendez brothers. Their cases have been overshadowed by the bigger ones that follow them. And all you really need to know is they definitely did it. And the defense was that they did it because their dad was molesting them. That's awful. Just awful. Yeah, don't waste your tears. I don't care what anyone says. Their fucking lawyers made that up. Any revisionist history that's going on these days doesn't take into account the facts and evidence. And while this trial seems to lack the pizzazz that would normally make a trial of the century, after all, the names were not really big outside of a niche section of Hollywood. Their dad was a movie producer, but not like a famous one. It became a massive sensation because for the first time ever, the proceedings were televised gavel to gavel every damn day on a brand new cable channel called Encore TV, carrying your scary-ass scowls. It was really hard to come up with a decent court TV drop. Thanks to cable television for the first time in American jurisprudence, you could watch a murder trial live and in progress. And we were riveted, not because of the grim statement on American greed, but uh, for uh, other issues. From an Entertainment Weekly column in 1993, quote, Like most court TV addicts, I now find myself not only obsessed with the impending verdict, but caught up in the theater of the trial itself. Just look at defense attorney Leslie Abertson's hair. She's Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction on a Humid Day. And as for prosecutor Pamela Boznovich, she should definitely stop wearing those silly girl bows. And will Judge Stanley Weisberg ever smile? Sustaining and overruling in that deadly monotone, peering over those little round glasses which remind me of comedian Stephen Wright without the punchlines, unquote. I weep for the future. You ain't seen nothing yet. More from EW, quote, Starting as a minor cable channel in July of 1991, Court TV, which, like this magazine, is owned by Time Warner, has slowly built a cult following, attracting its current estimated audience of 1.3 million viewers with a gamut of trials ranging from a case concerning a Pennsylvania auto lemon law to more dramatic sphere starring Marlon Brando, Jeffrey Dahmer, and Rodney King. Viewers' calls have risen to 150 to 1,000 a week during the trial, and nothing has pulled a bigger, steadier following than the Menendez case. The Los Angeles District Attorney's Office gets 50 calls a day from court TV watchers with advice on how best to prosecute the Menendez boys. Imagine that. You have spent your lifetime getting an education, going to law school, rising through the ranks of the criminal justice system to become a prosecutor on one of the most heavily publicized trials in American history, and you get calls from Deborah Jean in Ottumwa, Iowa, taking time from her busy day of slopping hogs and, and squeezing udders with suggestions on how you, the professional lawyer, with years of prosecutorial experience under your belt, can do your job better. It must have been a special feeling. Even Saturday Night Live, arbiter of national consciousness, parodied the coverage not long ago with John Malkovich's Lyle, tears, toupee, and all, unquote. And if you don't think the defense team, helped along by the defendants who, after all, were the sons of a Hollywood producer, crafted a show trial for the cameras, well, welcome to Earth, I guess. I'm sorry the first thing you had to hear was this podcast, and second, you would just be totally fucking wrong. A 2017 Rolling Stone article looked back at the trial and summed it up, quote, And of course, the case had two handsome brothers and tons of drama. Dominic Dunn detailed their glamour during a 1990 arraignment attired to the nines in designer clothes. They walked like coats, he wrote, 
Furthermore, the boys asserted that they had been sexually and mentally abused by their parents by way of motive, and Eric's defense attorney, Leslie Abramson, did her best to stroke the spectacle, dumb detail how she flipped off the TV cameraman and repeatedly called the brothers adorable. The first trial of Eric and Lyle Menendez was a soap opera wrapped within a psychodrama with the Los Angeles Times and O'Neill, and in the end, however, the two juries, each one considering one of the brothers, were deadlocked and unsure whether the crime was first-degree murder or manslaughter. Judge Stanley Weisberg declared a mistrial in January of 1994. Holy shit, it worked. Oh, maybe for a minute, but they were quickly retried, and this time without the cameras, and and incidentally, without all the money they had during their first trial, because come to find out they were broke, they were pretty quickly sentenced to life in prison. It's funny, uh, funny how that worked. Hot on the heels of the Menendez boys, there was a little trial up in Milwaukee. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. That certainly kept America riveted. What it lacked in star power, it, it, it made up in other ways. That's when the cannibalism started. The Jeffrey Dahmer trial was big news, but for some reason, wasn't televised. Probably because of all the images of the dead people that Jeffrey liked to snack on. So it lacked the main driver to truly be classified as a trial of the century. The Chicago Tribune wrote in a 1992 quote, If ever a trial was made to fit perceptions of media as exploitative, it's that of Jeffrey Dahmer. So far, however, the people the public terms prying creeps have proved more mild than manipulative. What Chicago WBBM Channel 2 heralded as Ed Dahmer's tale of betrayal and cannibalism has elicited coverages divergent in breadth and tone, ranging from page one treatment or no treatment at all. In New York, the capital of tabloid journalism for print and broadcast, the same statements merited not a word in either the tabloid Daily News or its rarely shy arch competitor, the New York Post. New York Newsday ran an Associated Press account on page 17, while the New York Times used a courtroom photo of Dahmer's parents without a story, unquote. A good trial of the century should titillate. It, it should nauseate. Another contender was the Rodney King beating trials of the cops that beat the shit out of Rodney King. And oh, it was big news, but it also made white people uncomfortable, so it didn't really catch fire. I mean, black folks were watching for sure, but they were watching for their own reasons. And let's just say they weren't watching to be entertained. They were pretty sure how it was going to end, and uh, turns out they were right. Fucking white people. Americans are funny people. The idea that other people's tragedy is entertainment is an extremely American thing. You won't find this rap sort of consumption of trials in the UK. In fact, would you like to know the first time a court was ever broadcast over there? July of 2022. Reuters tells us, quote, Cameras were allowed to film a criminal court case in England and Wales for the first time on Thursday when it was a sentence of a man convicted of manslaughter was broadcast live on television. The government says the move, which was promised over a decade ago, will give public a greater understanding of the judicial process. Filming will be limited to the judge's sentencing remarks, and the only the judge will appear on camera with a 10-second delay for live broadcast, unquote. Boring! <laughs> There's something about us Yanks that can't resist other people's pain. Maybe it provides us with some sort of psychic relief of the existential pain of living in a nation where everything is commoditized for the enrichment of corporations, including our trauma. Or maybe we're just the kind of people who enjoy endless hours of procedural chatter and dry evidence that uh, we don't really understand in hopes of seeing a law and order moment where the prosecutors get the accused to break down on the stand and confess, which, by the way, has never happened and it never will. I have never understood how people watch trials and didn't fall asleep. 
Sure, you might get a brief of the flurry of excitement every six to eight hours, but you can catch that on the sizzle reel at the end of, on the evening news. But so many of us seem to be waiting for the next big trial. But we want a good one. One that makes us feel like our preconceptions about people are correct. One that we can sink our teeth into. Not just in the just not in the Dahmer way. We want a trial that has everything. A beautiful blonde white woman victim, a famous accused who fits with our inherently racist instincts, salacious undertones of scandal, high power attorneys using red rhetoric to obfuscate the truth, and a judge that makes for a good late show monologue. Judge Lanzito. That is it for our show this week. Next week, we begin our summer series. Yeah, we're going to dig into that time when America was watching OJ. Now, I can hear some of you asking, Dave, what can you possibly say about the OJ trial that hasn't been said before? To which I reply, fair question. You'll just have to listen to find out. He's got nothing. I can always find something. I mean, maybe not the best thing, but I can find something. Speaking of not the best thing, rate and review this show so others can find us, take a listen and recognize it. That might not have been the best thing to do. If you want to kick us a buck for our legal defense fund, hit us up at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. Now, do all the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closing credits. Otherwise, he will be forced to either take the law into his own hands or, you know, take you to the, uh, the people's court. And so for me, Dave, I don't want no tears. I don't want no lies. And above all, I don't want no alibis. Bledsoe, producer, everyone knows that he's the judge. This whole song is extremely infantile. Gavin and all the fictional members of the jury on the show, we want to say, we'll bust some heads because he's the judge, which seems to be kind of out of order to us. I guess that's the way the court system goes. And we'll see you all next week. What the hell were you thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings podcast network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. No, we think that you're Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.